Milwaukee's South Coast, 1420 WBS. When I find myself in times of trouble. A little known song by the Beatles. Yeah, one of the. Of course, Mother Mary, he's referencing his mother. Oh, Mary. Interesting. Who had died. One of the things that he and John bonded over was um, their, the untimely passing of each of their mothers. Paul was, I think, 11. John was 13 when their mothers died. Oh, wow. That was one of the things that strengthened their bond and friendship when they first met. So Mary, his mother Mary, came to her and came to him in a dream. Um, and that's the mother Mary referenced in the song. It's very interesting, Jared. So we're here with Jared uh, Valenzola. He's our special guest co-host for the evening. Jared, it's been a lot of fun. I've had a great time, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll definitely have you on again in the future. For sure. Um, so, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we, we've talked about the new uh, party leadership. Uh, certainly a lot of work ahead for Amy Carnavali for the Mass GOP. And, of course, the Mass Dems have a big brawl coming up soon, right? For the, Oh, wait. No. <laughs> no. I forgot that doesn't happen at your, uh, you on know, your uh, side some, of the aisle. <laughs> someone asked, well, someone asked me, he's like, is, is something going on with, like, what's up with Gus Bickford? I'm like, I don't know. Something he's still there? And I don't know. He won a governorship. Yeah. He yeah, won yeah. to help governors win. So. He, well, governors, <laughs> county seats, state rep seats, and, you know, whether or not that's attributable to Gus Bickford's leadership is is a, a maybe another conversation, but like it doesn't. It's it's one of those like everything's going fine. I will say one one of the things that that the you guys do and do very well and very intelligently, and I've said this for years, is you have like what four hundred twenty members on your state committee. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I looked at this the other day. I think it's like it's over four hundred members. Mm-hmm. We have eighty and. I think what is what is intent people you know especially my Republican friends listen like oh my god more of them but first of all if you have more it sort of diminishes the individual yeah. member like it will you know it diminishes the individual member currently there if you triple the amount there but it gets more people at the table and mm-hmm. I think the thing that Democrats have done in the state so well is you have all those seats and I know all four hundred don't show up I'm sure but you have. So you have everybody at the table like you can't the biggest problem that Republicans have had in the state is this feeling of ostracization that that one side is more represented than the other. And, you know, before it was my dear friend Chanel Perunier on the national was our national committee woman. She sort of was the conservative wing representative. She lost. And now Jim Lyons losing. I, I think if you had two, three hundred state committee members on the mass GOP, you would have a lot of conservatives elected and a lot of them would be at that table just as you would the more moderate types or the Charlie Baker types. I, I mean, I'm a firm believer in the more the merrier. Yeah. And and I don't believe this is why, you know, I don't want to get too far afield, but like I've always said, you know, triple the size of the U.S. House of Representatives because like why do we need to take one person's voice away in order to empower and, and embolden other voices? I, and it's the same with the mass GOP. It's like we're inherently taking voices away when we are limiting the amount of people that can be on it. Yeah, well, my... You're not going to like it. My idea for a better, a more functioning um, federal Congress is to um, do away with a bicameral legislature and have a unicameral representative Ooh, that's government. That's an interesting perspective. So what I'm what I'm what I'm what I'm advocating for explicitly, um, just so people aren't confused, is uh, getting rid of the Senate. Um, I, really, I don't. It doesn't okay. make. I do not believe. See, I don't think it should be directly elected. I don't. Well, it used to not be. Right. So if people don't know, it used to be the state legislature that elected the senators, um, which uh, I think would be 
pretty interesting now. Want to get money out of politics? Can't have a $200 million U.S. Senate race in South Carolina if there's no U.S. Senate race. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, J- Jamie Harrison, uh, it's it, it's a money laundering operation, really, those Senate races. It, it really is a de facto money, money laundering I know we're operation. on a radio show, but you can't see me making the cynical yes, it is, isn't it, face? <laughs> It is. It is a. Def- it's not a. I'm not saying that it's. It's a criminal money laundering operation. It is a no, de facto. No it, it is right. a de facto money laundering operation to get consultants paid because Jamie Harrison. You're talking about South Carolina, where Jamie Harrison was supposed to unseat Lindsey Graham, right? <laughs> in South Carolina. <laughs> in South Carolina. And by the way, we're going to unseat Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts next year too, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so. And so. He ended up losing um, on election day in 2022 by with uh, with a strong performance by the top of the ticket. Not as strong as uh, everybody argued it should have been, and why we should have had him as the nominee. Which that's a whole different conversation. But um, he ended up losing by ten points. Right. Oh yeah. Wasn't, wasn't even, even close. close. Look at New Hampshire Senate. I mean, not even close. I mean, well, I, that's because New Hampshire, New Hampshire, right? Well, that was yes. a bad candidate right. they ran, but John the thing, Bolduc. But my, but my, my point with tripling the size of the House is bearing in mind Massachusetts in 1800 had 14 congressmen for less than 1 million people. Mm-hmm. We now have nine congressmen for 7 million people. And to the point where, like, I yeah. think people be- – there is that disconnect. And for me as a Republican, I, I quipped earlier, right? If I want – I've always said the last thing I'd ever run for in Massachusetts is Congress. As a Republican, because it just even if I somehow won, it would it would be the two year cycle for the state house is brutal enough. Yeah, I can't right. imagine having to go back and forth to D.C. So I, I've always said that would be the last thing I would run for. But and, and if I were, I'd just move to South Carolina. Move yeah, to, right. but, but if you had 27 congressmen from Massachusetts, again, talking about more voices, you would have Republican congressmen from Massachusetts. Certainly Definitely. Be way more Democrats. But at least there'd be parts of Massachusetts I could move to and feel like I have a representative that I agree with. Yeah. And there are parts you could live in, Marcus, where you do. I mean, now it's just a whole state for you. Um, yeah. But but I think it would give people at least that – that was the connection you're supposed to have to Washington. And I think you're seeing as Congress, as the House becomes more detached from the resi- from the constituency – and that's not like an indictment on our current Congress people. That's just in general. This he, he represents seven hundred thousand people. It's a lot yeah. more than the fifty thousand they represented in eighteen hundred. Yeah, I think as that disconnect grows, I think that's where you start to see a lot of the ideological morass come in because you don't have a diversity of opinion across all spectrums, and you're creating districts that are pandering to or enabling. Ayanna Presley's or Marjorie Taylor Greens or Lauren Bobears or Illinois Myers. I, I, and- I don't think it's fair to compare Ayanna Presley to Marjorie Taylor Green. True. I should have said AOC instead. <laughs> I don't think that's fair either. Mm. Because, well, Marjorie Taylor Green believed in like Jewish space lasers and okay, said she wanted to said she wanted fair. to execute uh, the, fair, the speaker of the house. Fair, so fair. I don't think that's I don't think that's a fair comparison. I meant more their ideological, not their styles. Okay, so let's compare AOC then to. Andy Biggs, he was just on the Andy TV. Biggs or that guy Chip Roy from Texas. Okay, that's, I think a, that's better a better comp. I think All it's right. a little bit more fair than Marjorie I wasn't Taylor doing Green. this. I didn't mean to do like stylistically, but although Ellen Omar did say 9-11 was some people doing something. But my, my point. 
point is like well <laughs> well yeah if in, you in the, have in, a, in uh, the context she said that in the context of uh people discriminating against muslims because of 9-11 and what she said was some people did something meaning muslims these group of extremist muslims did a bad thing and we, the people who didn't do 9-11, are getting blamed for it. I think that was the context. She wasn't trying right. to diminish 9-11. No, I know. But my point is, I think the bottom line is, we are getting more ideologically separated in that chamber because we've limited we've limited representation, which is ironic because the whole purpose of that chamber is to be representative. Yeah. Um, and That's why I, you get rid of the Senate. Well, I think the Senate, I would, I mean, it's not a crazy one. I think the Senate shouldn't be directly elected. The Senate was meant to represent the interests of the state as an entity, not the people of the state. The House was meant to represent people. And and I think having a state's overall interest be represented is, is still a valuable asset in our federal system, and it should be reinstated. I know it's never going to happen. I mean, we're not going to go back to that, but there's a reason why it was designed that way. And to that point, you know, we talk, Marcus, all night about local engagement and how so many folks don't engage it. Well, you know what? If you don't have U.S. Senate races and it's your legislature that decides it, all of a sudden you are really going to care who your state rep is and who your state senator is. So it would get that activism back down to that level where it needs to be and where it should be. Well, my, my whole thing is you, you were talking about how our, our members of Congress represent seven to 800,000 people. So Bill Keating, our congressman, represents more people than the two senators from Wyoming, for example. Yeah. Right. Um, and almost as many people as the senators from Idaho and South Dakota and North Dakota. And so when you've got a collection of states, and this, okay, fine, Rhode Island, throw Rhode Island in there and Hawaii too. I'm not, this isn't purely a partisan thing. Throw Rhode Island and Hawaii in there too. They I've throw Vermont before. Vermont. Rhode Island always has two Vermont's parties, a, so. Vermont's, a, Vermont's, yeah, Vermont's a better example because they have one at-large Congress member. Right. Right. Yeah. And so Vermont's probably a better example, but throw them in there, too. They shouldn't have as many Congress people as tech. I mean, uh, as many senators as Texas or 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 you see, I disagree, though, because I think that Vermont's place at the table nationally shouldn't be diminished because of its lack of population where their interests as a state. Well, need to still be represented and considered. Well, you're but they're voting on policies for everybody. Right. So. I, I don't I don't see the overriding interest of Vermont having this like equal state representation in a in one chamber versus, you know, like I said, most people, the population centers are really in the urban areas and even in states like Texas, Florida, um, New York, California, et cetera. Right. And so that's where the population centers are. That's where a lot of the people are. And people it's supposed people are supposed to be represented in Congress. They're not being represented in Congress because we have a bunch of states that have fewer people in them than some than most major cities. And they're making uh, decisions for all of us. And I don't think that's fair. But see, I would also argue that that again, that policy and that conversation gets metered out at the House level. And I often said when tripling the size of the house i do not believe any state should only have one congressman so you triple the size of the house south dakota has three vermont has three and at least again you have more diversity of opinions coming out of those states that because again that the senate was supposed to be the reactionary chamber to the house so the senate isn't really supposed to be enacting policy and we can talk well that's what they do they just kibosh it because everything needs 60 votes now, right? True. And, and, I mean, obviously the Senate has interpreted advice and con- the advice and consent clauses, meaning we vote up or down on it. I mean, that is 
that's just tradition at this point. I mean, you could argue advice and consent is sure a nod, a head shake, not an actual vote when it comes to presidential appointments for the, for the judiciary or the cabinet. But I think when tripling the size of the House, you would incorporate more views in the House and you would get more and better policy out of the House for the Senate to react to. Because, again, legislation generally is not supposed to start in the Senate. So I think, again, we talk about the a lot of the genius of the founding fathers and we talk about why things maybe aren't working now the way we think they should be. Well, we sort of strayed from it. We capped the size of the House. So we capped the amount of representation that, and again, you want to talk about big states should have a greater say. They do in the House. The Senate at least gives an opportunity for the smaller states to say, well, hold on a minute. We're not a total majority rule in that respect and protect minority interests, which is good because clearly through our history, there have been plenty of times where the minority opinion has been the correct one. And, And I think the Senate has served its purpose in that in cooling a lot of the inflamed passions that come out of the House. But, you know, it it shouldn't be, you should not have one congressman representing Alaska. I mean, Alaska, you can't even drive from one end to the other. you got to (laughs) fly around Alaska. It's absurd. Or South Dakota, you should have one and you should have a minimum three at this point. And I think it, it, again, it would incorporate more diversity of thought and it would incorporate literal more diversity. You would have more African-American congressmen, more Hispanic congressmen, more women, more Asian, more Jewish, more Catholic. You would have more inherently. The problem now is we're like, we're cutting people, not cutting, but people are being cut out inadvertently because you've limited the size of the chamber. You're limiting the amount of people that can participate. What about the Electoral College? Well, again, the Electoral College would then be bigger, right? So I I believe in the Electoral College. I believe in the presidency being somewhat isolated from, again, the the changing whims of the population. Because Changing whims of the population? People deserve to pick their lead, the the person who's going to lead them in the the country, right? They they do, and they... They do have. So what you're saying is people point. people who because of where they live should have less influence in a presidential election than 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 others. Well, I mean they they do inherently. People don't can't. It's ironic people don't campaign in two of the, the two biggest states in the country for president. They don't campaign in California because they, count on, they, they count don't on campaign in Texas because they count on those. Well, votes. the parties can count on those votes. But but, but Donald, like Donald, they campaign in New Hampshire for electoral. I think votes. Donald Trump got more votes in California than he did. Um, uh, in one state in California than he did anywhere else in the country. So I, it just it doesn't make sense that a guy can lose by 3 million votes. 3 million votes nationally. 3 million votes. And- well, it's because California showed up a little bit more heavy than others did. So California could theoretically dictate Hillary Clinton being president. I mean, that was the delta. Well, she got well, significantly fewer votes in every other state except California. Yeah, but... Than what President Obama got in 2012. Yeah, well, I mean, Hillary Clinton, I think, was a uniquely bad candidate. She knew the rules, and she didn't. She decided to to take. How for is it that you're married to one of the best politi- politicians in the late 20th century, and Bill Clinton, and you don't utilize him? I mean, he was saying for weeks, "You got to go to Michigan. Got to go to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Your poll numbers are tanking in Michigan." And her and the campaign kept saying. Now we're fine in Michigan, and after the election, no, you were not fine in Michigan. Obama, you lost Michigan. Obama slammed her for that too. I think he said it was like I, you know, every you know, when I wasn't working, I was at every state county fair and all of that stuff, and all right. these states that she lost, and he won, right? And and you know that ultimately caused. I mean, she knew the rules; she should have played by. Oh them, yeah, and again, you married to one of the best politicians of the late twentieth century. But I, I think the electoral college I, would, would be bigger. And when you, when you see. What happened in 2000 in Florida? 537 votes decided the entire presidency, right? It just, it, it just doesn't seem equitable to me. I mean, I, but again, I don't 
I think those are are those are very specific situations in very specific elections. You know, twice in twenty years. Yeah, I mean, but again, twenty years prior to that, you had Ronald Reagan win forty four states against Jimmy Carter, and then forty nine against Mondale Bush winning forty again. and eighty eight. So, I mean, I, I think it's a matter of I think states and individuals in these states have the right to be able to to have their interests represented as an entity, not necessarily population-wise. Let's take a break. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. It's the voices in the night that cover the news of the day. I heard the voices too. Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. More of South Coast Tonight happens now on WBSM. All right, I want to talk about sports. Yeah, we got a few minutes left, right? A few minutes left. And the, the, what's bothering me about the so the Bengals and the Chiefs game, right? The Chiefs won because they were a better football team than the Bengals and they were last they were on Sunday. Oh yeah. That's why they won. They didn't win because the refs were the MVPs. Were there some bad calls? Yeah. NFL refs suck, they right? They really do. They do. NBA refs suck. I'm still incredibly upset about the missed call on LeBron James in that I'm a Lakers fan in that Celtics Ugh. game. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It's the, the, uh, now I, I find out. Ten minutes left. Yeah. So, um, so, so refs, uh, refs suck at their jobs. They're terrible at their jobs, and they did make some bad calls. Some of the bad calls that they made or some of the, the questionable calls that they made had no little to no impact on the outcome of that game. Twice the Cincinnati Bengals were given an opportunity to win that game and twice they blew it. Yeah. They Joe did. Burrow played poorly. The offensive line played terribly. Uh they let Chris Jones, who's a great player, um have his way, um, basically. And they it, it just I don't know. It just it just upset Pat Mahomes beat them on one foot with half his receiver cord depleted. He did. He did. No, and and look I, I I would inherently have no problem with Patrick Mahomes, and I don't have a problem with him, except I am a Tom Brady mega fan, and I don't like the baby goat anointment. Like, you know, let's get to 10 Super Bowl. Let's win two or three, maybe four Super Bowls before we started. Like, we didn't start having that conversation about Brady until he won his fourth. Like, can we pump the brakes? And granted, what Mahomes has done early in his career is is nothing short of amazing, so I don't Mm -hmm. want to take that away from him. Um, It's going to be an interesting Super Bowl. It's going to be... Kansas City and Philadelphia, aside from the Machado household, I don't know who cares about that. Um, <laughs> I, I I honestly just want to root for Philadelphia only out of preserving Tom Brady's legacy. I, I think that's where most New England fans are falling, and I, I love Tom Brady too, and I think, that, I think that's a reasonable conclusion to make. In terms of Patrick Mahomes' his talent, his pure talent. Otherworldly. Otherworldly, and I think unrivaled. In terms of getting to where Tom Brady is, he would need to win, I guess, a couple more to for that conversation to even be interesting, right? If he won three or four, then we're talking about it a little bit more. If he wins five, right? If he wins, like, if he gets closer to right. Brady, I think that conversation is going to move more in Pat Mahomes' favor, especially considering Pat Mahomes at the start of his career exponentially better than Tom Brady was at the start of his career. And, you know, 50 touchdowns in his first year starting. And, and Mahomes will have to play a lot longer, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he'll have to play. He'll have to sustain it. And, yeah. you know, he's taking a lick in and he keeps ticking right now. But it's a lot more difficult to keep going. He's more mobile than Brady ever was. And he doesn't. But he's not afraid to use it. He, he, here's the thing. Even if he loses his mobility, he led the league in touchdowns from the pocket. pocket. Yeah. Right. So still, he can still throw. He's still the he best pocket just, passer right. in the league. He can reinvent his game. To your point on the refs, I agree. You know, I I think officiating has been poor 
for several years now, and I think what's what's been awful about it, and it's funny because inherently you would think it would make things better, is instant replay. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I understand in the NFL you only have 17 games. These playoff games, it's not like you can sort of miss a call tonight and then make up for it tomorrow. But I'm always a firm believer as a fan, and I always apply the same thing in politics. Like, as a fan, if you got to blame the refs, then you weren't really in a position to win to begin with. Because if the Lakers were up by 20, it wouldn't have really mattered, right? You wouldn't have had to have had LeBron running in there. And I personally love his tantrum. I loved loved watching that. Love watching Baby LeBron. Bit of an overreaction. Total overreaction yeah. on his part. But like But it was it was an it was a frustrating missed call. And deci- I mean it was clear. Game, and I'm yeah. not the biggest basketball nerd, but yeah. like I even I know you can't whack the guy's arm as he's going well, he for did it on purpose too to well, see if he can get away with it. Right. Yeah. So and he did. But it's like he if, did. but but like in politics I always say this like if you gotta blame the media or you gotta blame A, B, C and D, you probably weren't in a position to win to begin with. Like if you lose by 10, 20, 30 points, it, it was the game plan. It was mm-hmm. top to bottom. You know, if you lose by one or two points, you could start pointing out like, all right. Well, that's what the that's what the, the same thing in sports. So yeah. it's like, again, you know, some of the refs calls were brutal. The one that was brutal to me, the only thing that I was kind of like, what the hell was that was the timeout call when Cincinnati did stop Kansas City on the third and nine. They literally had the whole play go out. And then it was, wait, wait a minute. We called the timeout and they yeah. gave it and like. CBS, to their credit, showed the replay of the ref running on or the side judge running like, hey, no, he called the timeout. But that was the only time I was like, oh, come on. Like, yeah. how do you let that play go off? And yeah. it's like, thank God they was, had that on video because I but, mean, but it was incompetence more than than the uh, nefarious than and, nefarious. And that's yeah. the problem with like, with like everything now is sort of like, you know, we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. And like, yeah, for but, some reason we take mistakes and think they're nefarious when in reality, maybe it was just a mistake right? yeah. in that case. But you're right. I, I think I think if Kansas City was supposed to win that game, they would have won that game. and They would have won it better in you blaming Cincinnati. Yes, Cincinnati. Thank you. Yeah. Cincinnati was played better. They just didn't play well. Well, and it and was they just, gave Kansas City bulletin board uh, material. I, I mean, well, what the that's heck? the other thing. I, lo- I I like Joe Burrow. I'd love to see him win a Super Bowl. Um, I think he's just cool and he's a great quarterback. Um, but the, the the air of entitlement from from them uh, from the oh, from so from the Bengals bad. all week and that mayor. What a brutal way to crystallize the defining political moment right. of your career with that mayor. Because no matter what he does, he's the guy that made that stupid proclamation that Joe Burrow is Pat Mahomes' dad. Right. Right. And worse comes to worse, he can always host an awful daytime trash TV show like <laughs> yeah. one of his predecessors. Right. Exa- well, ex- <laughs> exactly. And so, and, Boy, and Jerry so, Springer yes, was Jerry mayor Springer. of Cincinnati. Was, Who yeah. knew? He was. Yeah. He's a city councilor, too. He also, I think, worked so good. Worked in uh, McGovern's campaign, Believe I want to say. Yeah, he worked Believe in McGovern's did. campaign. But um, what a stupid move by the mayor. Why are you doing that? One thing, like, you know, you, it's your city, you want them to win a Super Bowl, like, no one's begrudging you, but just going through that whole thing, the guys calling the Arrowhead, Burrowhead, all of that, right. and then to have the performance like that, and then to see some of them bitch and moan about the refs, like Jamar Chase did on, on right. Twitter, bitch and moan about the refs, like, dude, you guys played terribly. It was awful. I will say it's interesting how this is this is in the AFC again. It really does feel like Mahomes and Burrow are becoming the new Brady-Manning rivalry with... Uh, Josh Allen, sort of like the Roethlisberger part of that maybe right now, but again, sort of a three-headed monster, mm-hmm. much like what you had in the 2000s. And it's yeah. interesting how it's sort of happening again in the AFC. Um, and I, I would say that's accurate. I, w- I would, uh, like, because some people were talking about, and that's what they were pumping up, the NFL was pumping up, is, is Allen versus 
um, Mahomes as the new Brady Manning, but it's like, wait, mm, I think it's Joe Burrow. I think it is. He's getting <laughs> you know? to the championship games, and I think he's a better quarterback too. Oh, I think he is. I think yeah. I think Allen. I think Buffalo and Josh Allen's a great quarterback. He's fantastic, and I, mm-hmm. I I think I think Buffalo just has sort of that one dimension. Like they just can't rise to that occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and and Kansas City can and does. And you know, look, Andy Reid. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Belichick. I always have been, but I will say. When you look at what Andy Reid has done, I mean, he built. I mean, he went to how many NFC Championship games with with Philadelphia, yeah, and now like the AFC. He's built that program. You know, he's a great coach. He's a phenomenal coach. Mm-hmm. Whereas Belichick's really only had Brady, and I, I don't like it though because the thing is, is Belichick. All right, so he's only had Brady. You need a good quarterback to win championships, you right? You need a you need a great quarterback to win multiple championships, right? Where that's the position Andy Reid's in now. You had right. Donovan Vipkindab, who's a Hall of Famer, no doubt, but. But, but is he in the Hall of Fame though? Did McNabb make it? I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer, is what I should say. Oh, okay. I don't know if he is or isn't. I think he should be. But I think Belichick's some of his, you know, I think the, the what he's done with the team that he's had has been, I think, in a rebuilding stage, laudable. And that, you know, that year that they didn't have Brady, they went eleven and five and missed the playoffs. That was an absolute like right. aberration, right? right? It was the only time that ever happened. Hey, we got to take one more break. The WBSM app is every. Uh, it's. Thanks for joining me, Jared. Thanks for having me, Marcus. This was fun. It was a lot of fun. Tomorrow, uh, Chris McCarthy is going to be back. We're going to be with New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell talking about the Voctech admissions uh, debate. He's going to start the show off at 7 with us. I'm really excited for that. Um, and uh, so Chris and I will be doing that tomorrow. Jared, thanks again for coming on. Definitely look, ahead, for me. look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. It was a me fun too. show. Me if too. you missed any of it, you can catch it uh, on the podcast that is available on WBSM.com and the app right now. And uh, that's it. Thanks. Later. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, so you remember that part where I said um, I'd be competent one day? And it's not tonight. <laughs> Further added to that. <laughs> oh, this has been great, Marcus. It's been a pleasure to be. I love the amount of times I've stamped my passport to the South Coast now. Yeah. I, I, and to BSM. I appreciate you coming down. And I think uh, I've enjoyed the conversations, listening to the conversations you had with Jess and the, just the conversations we, we've had here today. I think it's all, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, thank you. If you want to join in, you can. You can message us on the WBSM app chat. We've gotten some messages throughout the show. You can call in at 508-996-0500. So, Jared, um, one of uh, so we talked a little bit about the work of county government, what you expect from the mass GOP, uh, a little bit of national stuff. Although I really do, and I hammer home on this point uh, almost ad nauseum on this show, and I, I think you feel the same way, is that it's the it's the local government that matters more. Absolutely, the things Absolutely. the things that are closest to you are the things that have the most impact on your day to day life. So, like you said, if you want to build the state party, you got to start at the at the at the school committee level at the at the you know state rep state senate uh even even town uh you know because you look at look at all the state reps look at all the state reps and state senators and all of that almost the overall majority of them were select board members thousand percent board of health members thousand percent right so if you that's the way you build name id in your local communities and you get a familiarity with the with the voter base an intimate familiarity with the voter base charlie baker was a selectman was well yeah he was he was it's I, a little different because was, yeah, but yeah he was a selectman he was know? a select he <laughs> he was a select he was a selectman he was a so select- was karen polito as a matter of fact karen polito um 
yes, Karen Polito is a, probably a better example because Charlie Baker was first a, a statewide cabinet, right, right. cabinet level secretary before he went ran for Swampscott Select Board, right. right? And then you know he was already a household name. He won pretty easily. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another, I think a, a a good example is uh, Catherine Clark. She started off yeah. as a school committee member, yeah. and now she is the second in command for the Democratic Party in, in the country, yeah, right. in, in the in the House. So I think that all of them. Yeah, that's we that, talked about rep, uh, rep. Yeah, district attorney. Jeez, Congressman Keating. I'm not even doing that on purpose, but he was a district attorney. He was a state yeah, rep, state, state senator. senator. Um, yeah. um, you know, up the line, and and it's funny because you know so many Republicans ran last year. Jake Auchincloss was a Newton City Councilor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, my friends in Plymouth County, every one of them, Republican or Democrat, they all yeah. started off as select board members, selectmen, city council, school committee, and 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 it's so many. There are so many Republicans who ran, and and some of them reach out to me asking for my opinion. A lot of them don't because I, I think I've been known as sort of the honest one. Like I'm going to <laughs> give you the straight up answer, yeah, right? right. And, and and I think that's almost better because they're you know being involved. There are a lot of people in both parties that are going to blow smoke up your skirt, and I I would never want to be one of them because I don't want to see people get hurt first and foremost. Like mm -hmm. I've run for things that maybe I shouldn't have and lost, and mm -hmm. you know, am I glad I did? Sure, but you know, to some degree, it's about what you make of it. So like so yeah. many folks have run for it, and and they they in the, on the Republican side, they're just they're skewing local races and. You know, the Democratic Party, I give them credit, are relentless. You know, folks have said to me, you know, whenever they talk about stolen elections, they go, why didn't they steal my election? My my name was on the ballot with Donald Trump's. Mm -hmm. So, like, saying president of the United States, or, or I'm sorry, electors for president and vice president, all the way down to county commissioner. If they if they have access to phantom ballots, why didn't they take it from me? Well, they don't care about you. No, they do. I mean, of course the they Democrats, do. do they want to win every seat? I want to win every seat mm -hmm. as a Republican. And and I think, you know, building the party and and... and Locally, it affects you, but you can control it. You can go to town meeting. You yeah. can call your city councilors. I'm a big student of Thomas Jefferson, and that was Jefferson's view of the United Heard States government back then. Yeah, he's a pretty good guy to to get some ideas from. And, and some ideas, not all of them. Correct, correct, <laughs> very, very correct. Um, but you know, he. But even in that, he. You, you talk about long form processes. I think one of the misconceptions is he began the ball rolling on abolitionism. I mean, he wrote it into the Declaration of Independence, ending the slave trade. He ended the slave trade as president. So certainly an imperfect man doing a horrible thing at the time, acceptable to Southern economies. But even still, I think he recognized inherently how to eliminate it. And he, he had to play a long game, but there were people back then. And it's interesting how American politics even today mirrors how it was back then that just said, we'll do it immediately, get right. it done immediately. Northern politicians especially. Jefferson realized, I want this eliminated too. Yeah. But I realized you can't just, just do it, yeah. unfortunately, as wrong and as evil as it was. He set the ball rolling for that. And I think that's an overlooked part of Thomas Jefferson's history that I think people would be wise to avail themselves to. Because I think it teaches, at least for me, it's taught me like how to play policy and how to get policy to be where you want it to be because not everyone's going to agree with me. Not everyone's going to agree with you, Marcus. There's a lot of things I'm sure national policy we we diametrically disagree on. But if you want to enact your change, it takes time. And I think Republicans in Massachusetts just want it to happen. And, mm -hmm. and I think they believe that we're in a 50-50 proposition and we're not in this state. So it's going to take time. And I'm optimistic with with a new chairman. Hopefully, I, you know, I was optimistic with Chairman Lyons. It's some wins, not a lot. I'm optimistic with the new chair. Hopefully, yeah, I mean, Jim Lyons did 
ouster an incumbent Democrat when he ran for state he rep. Did. He, he did. ended up losing, and that's how he, you know, was employable at the at that juncture. But still, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And so it worked, and it's funny because I, I, he came down. There was a joint meeting. I'm, I'm also a local RTC chair. I vice chair the Plymouth County Republican Club too. So I, you know, I kind of run the gamut. I mean, I'm on the national committee for the YRs. And when I go to those meetings, I get a different perspective and idea too. But when it comes to, um, to those meetings, I was optimistic. I'm always optimistic and I'm always happy to work with anyone. I, I'm not, I, I think it's silly when we inherently shut people off. It's, it's childish actually in a way like, well, I don't want to talk to that person because I don't like them. And, and what's funny about the fight with the master OP, and I know we want to talk about other stuff in this hour is it's not ideology, ideological at all. At all. Like, well, the, it's not like an ideological purist test. I mean, frankly, when it comes to former President Trump, Trump's not a real conservative. I mean, he's a populist. He's a nationalist. Has some conservative policies. But if you were to, like, go down the litmus test, he's not checking a lot of conservative boxes. Yeah. I mean, Trump's a... Trump's a culture warrior. Um, that's right. really where that's where really where he made his bones is 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 the culture war stuff and all the other stuff. Trump's culture war and ego and everything else is just sort of any other conservative policy. Frankly, wasn't uh, a, a conceptualized by him like any right. sort of kitchen table stuff wasn't conceptualized by him really it was more it was it was more like okay well this is what the party's doing this is what i'm gonna do right is that a fair assessment a thousand percent yeah. and i mean i look at again and, and i don't you know some of the wars nationally you look at mitch mcconnell who's obviously constantly derided you know and by the anti-establishment folks but you look at his voting record it's pretty conservative and when you talk about like he mm -hmm. did it as sort of fan service of the party, he got those Supreme Court, you know, Supreme Court justices through. So Mitch McConnell is fascinating because he is, as a be, figure, because <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> um, he Mitch McConnell more than anybody, I think, really um, his he has this understanding, this 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 baseline understanding, and it's how he operates is that politics is really about winning. And what he does, what he did, he would, he would kibosh things that were, you know, I think agreeable by both parties, but if it was going to give the Democrats a win, he was going to kibosh it because long-term it would be better for the Republicans. And in terms of like getting stuff done for the Republican party nationwide, Mitch McConnell's more responsible for, for, for getting some major gains in Republican and Republican politics nationally than really most figures in the last, uh, the last half century, um, specifically to include the, and most importantly, the Supreme court, uh, appointments, the six to three Supreme court majority, right? Because the Supreme court majority was a 50 year, uh, a 50 year masterclass in discipline and patience, uh, starting the Federalist Society, getting people built up for those judicial appointments, getting in with the Republican Party elites and and basically saying it, to the point where to that to our point earlier, Donald Trump got a list of you think he cared about federal judges or had any idea about what judge would pick. No. no, but the Federalist Society said, here's a list of 10 people. You pick one of them. That's right. it. And he said, I'm going to pick one of these 10 people. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. These are these right. the people that I'm going to pick. And that's how that's how he made his picks successfully and you know the other thing mitch mcconnell did was you know he held that seat open for ended up being neil gorsuch right no it was merrick Garland, i believe wasn't it well 
<laughs> he didn't give Merrick Garland a hearing. Oh, right. It became Gorsuch. It became right. Gorsuch. Right. And it was kind of funny, actually, when Merrick Garland became attorney general, it was like, oh, Mitch McConnell's so mad. He's like, he, does, he doesn't care. No. Mitch McConnell. He I, understands it's a new president. Ma- Ma- Merrick Garland's <laughs> gone in it. four to eight years. Uh, you know, uh, Niels Gorsuch is there for 40. But um, Right. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I'll take that trade off. And even then, you know, when it came to the almost the exact same scenario and even more so than what he said before is that the election should decide the open seat when they had an opportunity to fill that seat two months before the election or a month before the election, they did it because he understood, he understood the mission, right? Right. And the the mission was more than the sort of, I think more than like the, like you said, the ideological infighting and and, and impurity, what matters is getting people in a position of power to do the things that you want to be done. And that's really that's really what politics is. The compromise and all that stuff, that it's all stuff that you can do if you have to, right? right? But if you don't have to, if you're able to, if you're able to, you know, work your way to get people in those positions. And I think the only way to do that in Massachusetts is to understand where the center of gravity is politically. And it's not with, it's not with what the people Jim Lyons wanted on that ballot. It's more with people like Charlie Baker um, or even an Anthony Amore, right? right. Um, Who was constantly blasted in so conservative circles to be blanked or to yeah. write in somebody else. Um, oh, they got that guy from the Cape. Uh, yeah, Tom Keys. Um, whether yeah, or not he perennial also ran right. Yeah, actively yeah, yeah. involved in that. And and you make the best point, Marcus. It's having people in that position. You know, we talked about Plymouth County with the vaccine mandate. We have a two to one majority, and it's a very mm-hmm. small example. But my Democrat colleague wanted to do a full full on mandate, and mm-hmm. you know, we discussed it and did deemed that was not. It wasn't. It wasn't necessary for Plymouth County uh, for our employees. But to that point, and I think that gets lost. You 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 made the point perfectly. It gets lost on so many folks. Like it's not an ideological fight because I would say, based just purely on voting record, Mitch McConnell is very conservative of course. ideologically. Of course. <laughs> you know, he's from yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what do you think you're getting for a Republican out of Kentucky? I don't think it's going to be a Charlie Baker type, and it hasn't been. So, but to your point, it's understanding that. You know, again, your point with Merrick Garland, it's a new administration. New administrations bring in new cabinet secretaries. That's how this works. Yeah. So fine. We'll trade four, eight years of Merrick Garland for 40 years of that Supreme Court seat. And But you're right. He understood the mission and he got it done. And I think I think so many times we forget. And, it, and it's interesting now because I was guilty of this when I was younger. And not that I'm that much older now, but I was guilty of this not understanding fully how public service worked. And and I think I understand it a little bit more now as a commissioner and under to your point where the center of gravity of politics is in this state is not in any way, my ideology by and large, but it's also knowing and having to work with folks because they outnumber us by, by three, four to one in the legislature. We need votes. That's what it comes down to. And I think Republicans, mistake this idea that like we're Republicans first and then county commissioner second. I'm a county commissioner first. Mm -hmm. I'm a Republican and that forms a lot of the basis of my ideology, my decision making, how I arrive at conclusions comes from Republican influences, Ronald Reagan being my most influential um, political sphere of all. Um, But I don't remember the stuff he did. What's that? <laughs> I said, except you remember the stuff. Yeah, well, he did. right. I do. I do. Well, he, <laughs> he remembered didn't. too. He didn't. He well, well, he said he didn't. Uh, with, the, he didn't. He, the, <laughs> he didn't. The nineties. Yeah, I don't remember. He didn't remember Iran Contra. I hope it's not true, but uh, I'm hearing it is. <laughs> oh well, that was some good craftsmanship. But, you know, with Ronald Reagan, and this is why I, 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 you know, a lot of Trump's policies I agreed with, especially a lot of the foreign policy. So by no means, but when it comes to like stylistically, like. 
I can't take the comparisons between Donald Trump and Ronald. Like, Ronald Reagan won 49 states in 1984. That election night coverage, you can watch it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. They weren't talking about, gee, where's Pennsylvania going to go? Or, no, it was, will Ronald Reagan win all 50 states? And he yeah. came within 3,500 votes of doing it. So, I think for me... Minnesota I mean, was the one he lost. The one he lost. And it was lost Walter, it twice. Walter, well, it was Walter Mondale. Home state. It was his home state, yeah. And, you know, for me, um, for, for me, I emulate Reagan... Very stylistically, too. It's like trying to be funny, entertaining, serious when necessary, and talking about serious issues, but also understanding that, like, it's okay to just kind of be a little loose about it. You don't have to be super serious. And mm -hmm. I think I think that art is lost, too. I think Bill Clinton understood that. I think Barack Obama understood that. And frankly, I do think to some degree, although he's, he's losing it, but Biden a little bit understands that, too. Like... The stylistic side of politics is lost on Republicans. It's like there's so much anger where Reagan would disarm you with the joke and talk about Mondale. Joe Biden was great at that in his, yeah. in his heyday. His 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 rise to power was all of that backslapping stuff. Right. And, and Joe Biden really never really, never really had an ideological, um, really a, the the discernible ideological framework honestly right. you can see the way he's voted he wanted the balanced budget amendment in the constitution he was all he was there for all 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 eight years of reagan and he was uh, i think had expressed excitement about some of his economic policies if not all uh, all of them but he used his personality really because he was a fantastic retail politician right. he used his personality to really get thing to really get himself in a position of, of power that's kind of how he got to where he was a lot of the decisions he was involved in that he made over over time were actually it's on the wrong side of history for just about everything but um <laughs> didn't I mean, want to kill bin laden <laughs> well even that yeah even that um he you know could go. He was chair of foreign relations uh, when the uh, Iraq War debate was going on. George Bush thanked them personally. Uh, you know the, the 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 bankruptcy bill, the the the, the crime bill. I mean, just about it. Just about just about everything. Um, right. But it was you know he understood how to. I think, like you said, you know, present a, a, a personality that's really affable. And, you know, he was willing to make compromises in, in areas that he may not have wanted to. But again, I, I think it's because you have an ideological center of right. gravity. Well, and, and when you look at Ronald Reagan, I mean, back to the 1984 example again, imagine how some of our candidates on both sides would react today if, if, if the president was being harangued for his age. And Reagan was. I mean, he didn't have a great first debate performance. Mm -hmm. And he was getting absolutely embasted. He's too old. He can't handle the rigors of the job he can't do it and what does he do at the next debate he shows up and walter mondale wrote it about it in his autobiography but reagan shows up at the next debate and they ask him the question president reagan people are assume your age you, you can't keep up with the demands of the job and of course people forget walter mondale the former vice president of the united states a senator from minnesota and what does ronald reagan say i'm not going to make age an issue of this, this campaign so i'm not going to make age an issue of this campaign i won't exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth or inexperience <laughs> yeah. and the crowd bursts out laughing uh, including walter mondale walter, right the camera catches mondale laughing reagan sips a water puts it down <laughs> yeah. stone cold face yeah. and walter mondale wrote in his autobiography i knew at that exact moment i was not going to be elected president of the united states yeah. that was the moment and reagan handled it and he started everything and that's what i try to emulate and that's not to say that i don't take things seriously because i do and, and and reagan did too certainly but i think that art is lost you know fred thompson said it perfectly former senator from tennessee who you may also recall was the da on law and order DC is Hollywood for ugly people. Like 
<laughs> like yeah, politics, so politics is Hollywood for ugly people. Mm-hmm. Once you kind of, and I don't want to be sound cynical about it, but so much, so much of it is performance politics, yeah. and I can't stand performance politics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, As I sit here putting on a performance. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Can now.